Tonight on Arena... We look back at the best fiction, crime fiction, music and sports books of 2021. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. Well, it has been a good year for the book lovers amongst us. I think it's safe to say, with new novels from big literary names like Cullum Tobin, Bernard McLaverty, and Roddy Doyle. Sally Rooney created a global sensation in the summer with the release of her third book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? More recently, Claire Keegan published her novella, Small Things Like These, to rapturous acclaim. But we're a broad church here on Arena, and we will look beyond the fiction shelves when it comes to our pick for 2021 just 11 days to go by the way before Christmas Day in case you didn't <laughs> couldn't remember and perhaps perhaps you might be inspired to buy a few books for your loved ones there is still time to do just that if you so wish joining me with their books of the year Adele Coffey who looked at general fiction and one or two literary non-fiction titles Eamon Sweeney has his pick of the best music books of 2021 Declan Hughes is here with the top crime publications of the year and we're venturing into the area of sports with RTE Sports uh, Damien O'Mara with his pick of sporting publications but um, let's start in Galway where Adele Coffey is sitting patiently waiting for us and just to speak with us um, what kind of reading year did you have in, in what I think is safe to say your world of, of fiction and literary non-fiction is that where you spend most of your time Adele? Well, yes, but with a, a lovely, healthy dash of popular fiction thrown in too. Um, mm. I'll, re- I'll read anything, to be honest with you, with you, Sean, as you know. But I think like a lot of people, Sean, my reading year has been disrupted as it was in 2020. It's been, it's continued to be difficult to sort of get um, your concentration into what you want to read because of the pandemic. It's just like this mm. sort of... Uh, cloud hanging over us and distracting us and this low-grade anxiety there that seems to sort of seep into everything. And for me, the reading and the books that I really engaged with, a lot of which we'll be talking about tonight, Mm. but um, a lot of the ones that sort of... a lot of my friends, I'm in reading groups and a lot of us spoke about being broken out of our um, our torpor. Like, you know, if, if a book was really good, we'd say something like, this was the one that got me back into reading again. And right. a lot of those books were very juicy, very, um, you know, ha- they'd have a big voice or they'd have a big plot. And it was almost like learning to read again in a way that, you know, yeah. you, you needed action or you needed um, a really distinct voice to grab you in a way. Right. And I think that's what 2021 has done to me anyway Juicy a big voice and a big plot there's a good line for a, for, for a publicity, publicity agent on a book um, Damien O'Mara I, I presume you look for juicy I presume you look for a big voice and you're looking for a big story when it comes mm. to a sports book really are you? Yeah I, but I would echo everything that Adele Adele has stolen all of my thunder because I would be in the exact same boat mm. where it's one of those ones where you know, you, you reach for a book for a bit of escapism, but yet you find yourself living in a world that we couldn't have written two years ago. And it's like, well, how am I meant to enjoy a book when real life is far mm. more uh, bizarre than anything within the pages of a book would be? This for me, I actually probably read fewer sports books this year than any other year, which um, there's a big pile of stuff that landed on my desk, which is at home in the front room of the house, which is going to end up in the green bin or in Christmas presents if I don't open them at some stage. Uh, for me, it was the year I really embraced the audiobook. Um, far more than if you'd have told me 12 months ago that I would have gone through as many audiobooks as I have in a single year 
I'd have told you, no, no, that's yeah. not for me. Oh, that's but, interesting. Um, and that cross-fiction and non-fiction were you found listening to audio? Largely non-fiction, largely uh, a lot of autobiographies read by the author, a lot of um, maybe non-fiction books read by the author. And it just got to the point, and I, I'm not sure, and I, I don't mean this to disparage um, colleagues who work in other areas of broadcasting, but I just got to the point in life where when I was in the car going to matches for work or I was in the car for whatever reason, I just couldn't listen to a lot of current affairs and I just got to the point where I need a little bit of escapism and I maybe, it was a year where I found like Dave Grohl to be company on long car journeys. Billy Connolly has just kept me company on the dart from the north side across. So uh, yeah, the year of the audiobook for me in particular. And of course, never between seven and eight, Monday to Friday, Damien. No, and and of course, I I, I will reach to my podcast app now on my phone and show you that I am subscribed (laughs) to your podcast and dip into it religiously. Eamon, I suppose your world is audio. Uh, Damien specifically mentioned Dave Grohl there. What what about music books this year? Was it a good year for music uh, journalism in general? Oh, in terms of the volume of stuff that came out, it's absolutely been phenomenal. And I've been just maybe, um, you know, moseying around uh, bookshops in the last few days and weeks, getting presents and so on, and actually making a note of how much many music books are are there. And whether whether it be a large Easton's or Hodges Vegas or even the smaller bookstores, the music section is now dwarfing cinema. Uh, In a couple of stores that I saw, it was kind of equal with sport books, actually. Mm. Uh, now, everybody's bringing out a book. Even Billie Eilish, who is 19 years of age, has brought out a book. Um, you know, there's very notable ones. We mentioned, Damien mentioned uh, Dave Grohl, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Closer to Home, the Sinead O'Connor book was mm. a really big sensation yeah. in, in, in the spring. There's a lot of stuff coming out. Now, not all of it is necessarily good. But having said that, I suppose, you know, in terms of my own reading year, I found myself either reviewing more books and also interviewing musicians and not talking about a record, talking about a book. Yeah, the book rather than that. And that actually made for some really good conversations. I wonder, has, has anybody, in terms of the music book words, seeing as Damien brought up this idea of the audio book, I wonder, has anybody brought done that, the audio book for a music journal, mm. for a whatever about, but that has the music in there as well. As you're reading, you can listen to the music or the music comes in at certain points is that going on? I do notice there's a lot more in music publishing um, like take a a publisher who's had a a really astonishing year like White Rabbit for example there is so much tying in with Spotify playlists Mm. and also in their events in London there would be kind of DJs lots of kind of um, you know lots of different happenings and in terms of the audiobook I haven't quite gone down that rabbit hole that Damien has but I think I will with Sean Ryder because I heard an extract of his audiobook, How to Be a Rock Star. I was like, this is actually the perfect way to consume this. With Listen Sean Rogers' voice entertaining you, telling all his yeah. shaggy dog stories from over the years and having you in stitches. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah, much better enough. than the, the kind of the printed words on the page. Yeah, Declan Hughes then, um, have, 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 you, have you converted, Declan, in the way that seems to be going on around the table here this evening? Uh, are, are you still, is it still the printed word on the page for you? It's mostly the printed word, although I do like it. Obviously, a p- part of uh, most of my crime reading is for the Irish Times column. Mm. And uh, I do like it when a publicist says, would you like the audio book? Because then I can cook the dinner while I'm doing it. And, <laughs> there is uh, that. You know, so it's, it's, it, it, it re- and it really does. I listened to uh, Walter Mosley's on, uh, as an audio book this year. It's not on my top 10, but it was terrific and, and just one of the best uh, ser- ser- series fiction. In terms of overall trends for, for crime fiction... I- 
I, my top five got me to break a commitment I'd made, which was not to read anything about the pandemic whatsoever. Uh, I uh, retreated into a world of black and white movies and historical fiction and, you know, avoid, and also cosy crime fiction. The rise of Richard Osman is perhaps understandable, uh, given, given uh, I think, many people sharing that sense of please do not make us read what we're going through. But, uh, but one of my top five uh, took the pandemic head on and, and really did a brilliant job. All right. Well, we'll we'll come back to that because actually, why why don't I just take? Uh, no, I won't. I'll, I'll I'll come back to it. Um, because give me your give me your um one of your top. Uh, this is actually five because we're going kind of reverse order with you with you at any rate, uh, Declan. You, your fifth yeah. on that list of five was uh, you're bringing My this to LA a, by a, a very interesting maverick writer uh, called Jonathan Ames. He's a screenwriter. Uh, he's, he's written for television, bored to death, blunt talk. He wrote a novel that they made a film with Joaquin. Phoenix called You Were Never Really Here um, and it's called A Man Named Doll. So it is a traditional uh, P.I. novel set in L.A. Happy Doll is our protagonist. I was 50 Irish and nuts, he says. <laughs> he lives at the base of the hill with a big wooden sign, the one that says Hollywood, with his half Chihuahua, half Terrier George. And he says things like L.A. was crying and had been for weeks. The window was being pelted. The noise was like a symphony gone mad. So I think if you, if you like the sound of that, yeah. you'll know what you're getting. It's really terrific. There's a villain called Paul Madvig that's a reference to Dashiell Hammett. There's Crumley and Chandler going on here. It's kind of infernally complicated in, in plotting, but very funny, very yeah. sharp. Uh, all the and all the good. Uh, he, he he drinks tequila out of a out of a, a tiny shot and calls it a child's portion. It's a, it's a <laughs> blast of a book. Okay, and on the basis of your reading, I think a you know, audio book might be a, a thing you could should consider from the other side of the microphone, Declan. Although, oh, oh, listen, you'll get you'll get your cut, Sean. <laughs> I'm wondering I'm wondering how Jonathan Ames does uh, Irish fifty and not say uh, <laughs> the voice of the of the narrator just sounds sounds <laughs> do, great. Do, do we feel we're experts on that front <laughs> yeah well, well certainly Irish anyway <laughs> moving swiftly onwards um, Adele Adele Coffey uh, you are going Irish with your first choice for us this evening yeah, and I'm actually very Irish with a lot, like, I think actually four out of five of my top right. five are Irish. Like, it was an, actually a great year for publishing. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that 2020, a lot of things were postponed and pushed into the next year. So maybe that's why, or maybe it's just we're incredibly talented. Um, there is that possibility. <laughs> Megan Nolan started the year and it really for me was um, a great start to the year. Her novel, Acts of Desperation, it's her debut novel, mm. It was, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard about it at this stage because it came out at the start of the year and it got an awful lot of attention. It is a novel about a young woman who becomes sort of infatuated with an older man who's very cold, very withholding of his affection and sort of gets into a relationship with him, like despite his best efforts and... um, For me, it was, you know, obviously a description of a dysfunctional relationship. But the part that was interesting for me about this book was the fact that she wrote so intimately and so authentically about that, what I would describe as the no man's land. Mm. And this is for both men and women, I think, between the time you sort of um, leave your family, leave childhood, by which I mean like you're 18, 19, 
and go into college and leave college and start working in the real world. And you're sort of set adrift. And I love that she explores that vulnerability of young women and young people around that that era of yeah. their lives and just how much trouble they can get into and how difficult it can be for them to find their way out of that and into a, a sort of more stable situation. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously, the, the, the real difficulties we all admire and uh, praise, I think, Sally Rooney's success. But the problem for any young female Irish writer is, are they the next Sally Rooney? It's it's kind of, you know, I know it's a it's a publicity, a publicity thing as much as any else. But Megan, anything else? Megan Nolan is probably... I don't know if suffers is the right word, but she's, is she the next uh, Sally Rooney? Is Nisha Dolan the next Sally Rooney? It's a bit unfair to, to make that comparison, uh, isn't it, in many ways, Adele? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, don't get me started now, Sean, OK? Because we will be here all night and I will get angry. It's, it's such a reductive thing to yeah. do to any writer, it's isn't it? It's reductive to Sally Rooney as well. Yeah, exactly. But like more so to the other two yeah. that you're talking about because it's suggesting that, you know, because they're women, because they're Irish, they just fit into this little sort of Sally Rooney shaped box. And and you're right, it is um, insulting to Sally Rooney mm. as well as to everyone else. So, no, they're not. They are the next um, Megan Nolan. Mm. They are the next Nisha, Nisha Dolan. Dolan. Absolutely. And they are the, the most offensive thing, I suppose, about that reductive um, thing is that they're so different to Sally yeah. Rooney. They're, yeah. they're both so different to Sally Rooney and they're both exploring different things and they both have different um, styles of writing as yeah. well. And that's one of the most enjoyable things about Megan Nolan is her her deeply descriptive style. It's very immersive. I know that she was influenced by Carl Ove Nausgaard, so if you like that his style of writing, you know, you you'll, like you'll love yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Damien, having said it's reductive. Is, is there a sports book? Is there a sports book that everybody says that's you want you want to write one like that, even if it isn't on your list and even if it's not from this year? Yeah, I, I think there's there's always ones that kind of transcend sport. People will always go, Well, have you read Agassi. Yeah, well, Agassi, mm. I, I defy anyone to read the first chapter of Andre Agassi's mm. book and not completely devour Open it. was the, the title yeah, of the book, so yeah. It, like, the, the, first, the first chapter is, he's, I think it's the US Open, he, he's convinced he's going to be beaten, he knows he's going to retire at the end of the tournament and he gets into this dogfight over, uh, I'm going off, completely off the top of my head, five sets and he describes in massive intimate detail what the day was like rolling yeah. out of bed because he wasn't able to stand up because his body is ravaged by whatever number of decades. So Agassiz would be the one in recent times. Uh, Rough Ride by Paul Kimmage is kind of the ultimate yeah. Irish mm. version of it. Um, Thomas Hauser's book about Muhammad Ali would be another one. Those books that completely transcend sport because you tend to find with sport people have an interest and they go, I'm only going to look at the GAA books. I'm only going to look at the soccer books. Um, I was chatting, Em and I were chatting outside beforehand that like there is this massive void for really good concept books in recent years because you just end up with this sequence of largely vacuous autobiographies. Is a concept book, is, uh, so a concept book is okay as opposed to a concept album which we none of us want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, but, well, jeez, we're in dangerous territory here, aren't we? You know, and who, you just know, throwing it out who, there. Who, who, yeah, there'll be a queue of people out in the corridor. Um, I, I think, I just think in sport, you have this, there's a lot of people will walk past the sports section of books sorry, the sports section of bookshops 
and go, that's not for me. When in reality, yeah. there are brilliant books hidden away yeah, in them. Yeah, I would sure. say, like Richie Sadler's book in recent years, Philly McMahon's book well, in I, recent years, are books uh, books which happen to be written by men who are famous for sport, but they're not the books. They're about they're people. Books. Exactly. Well, maybe maybe give us uh, your, your first two. Because your, well, yeah. you've, you've organised yourself in various sports disciplines as yeah. opposed to alphabets or, or numbers or the, anything yeah, the, like that. The reason, the reason I did that is because like a GAA book is very different from a rugby book, yeah. which is very different from an autobiography. With different shape, are they? Well, no, but in terms of people, you know, people have this mindset about, like, I don't like rugby, so I won't read a book written by a rugby person. I don't like soccer, so whatever. So I've, uh, yeah, I don't have my top five. I don't have... As the numbers get yeah. smaller, the books get bigger, or whatever. So um, I've I've kind of done it book by book by book. As it happens, the two big books of the year, the books everyone are t- talking about this year from an Irish sense, both happen to be rugby books. Both very different books. Both books from very different eras. Um, Crossing the line by Willie Anderson. Now, if you're if you've come to rugby in recent years, like so many people have, um, Willie Anderson is going to be the guy who faced down the hacker in Lansdowne Road on you know and yeah. lived to regret it, which wasn't quite the case. His book is is brilliant and it's real old school rugby, but it's not. There's much more to it than just I played this game and I played that game and then we faced the All Blacks and I did this. Um, it really scrapes the surface of what it was like to be someone from a Protestant background who played an All Ireland sport uh, during the Troubles. Um, talks in in very vivid detail about an incident he had in Argentina where, uh, as a prank and as a souvenir, he tried to take a flag down off a wall. Ended up trapped in Argentina for months. At one mm. point. The generals in the army wanted him executed as a result of what he had done to basically desecrate their national symbol. Um, has had elements of tragedy when his life was involved in a, in a road accident, which took the life of a, a boy in his locality. Speaks in in very open, very graphic mm. detail about the impacts of that um, incidents with alcohol over the years. Um, th- there's a, a sense within it, and, and I interviewed him on, on Two FM a couple of months back that. You do get a sense from the book that he feels he had a great career in rugby, but it wasn't necessarily the one that was delivered to him, that he could have done so much more. He could have done more in coaching. He had to wait until very late in life to get his debut. That There's not necessarily grudges there, but there are a couple of things that it it could have been better if I'd been given the opportunity that I feel I was And also, well, you're talking about a different era with him as well, aren't you? A completely yeah. amateur era yeah. where, you know, you're a teacher, you put your boots in the bag on a Friday afternoon and headed to the Berkeley Court to meet up with your team. Unlike lads now where... You know the the current Irish rugby squad effectively live in Carton House for large spells of the year, or in the Shelburne Hotel on the eve of games. That it's a completely different. Yeah, and I, world and I wonder to, to some extent this maybe all pure nostalgia on, on my part. You know, but is there a sense that perhaps there are better stories when it was in the amateur t- days? I think it's not quite as sanitised as it is now. Like you do suffer, and and my second rugby book is. Fight or Flight by Keith Earls, which of rugby autobiographies which have come out in recent years is as unsanitised, non-sanitised, whatever the right word is, as a lot of them have been. It's not a book that has an agent's fingertips all over it or has an advisor's fingertips all over, fingerprints all over it. Um, So, yeah, Willie Anderson would be the glory days, the amateur era. Keith Earls, I think, has done a massive service to people. It's a book, and both of these are are ghost-written. Brendan Fanning co-wrote Willie Anderson's or ghost-wrote. Tommy Conlon has ghost-written Keith Earls. Keith Earls' book is the 14th book, I think, from the Grand Slam squad of 2009 and credit to Maliki Clerken in the Irish Times who counted up those numbers. But Keith has done a remarkable job speaking as a man in his 30s who was diagnosed with bipolar, you know, in relatively recent years. And that's a, that's an, ex- an experience that I think an awful lot of people in Irish society have had. And 
an era, a country where men don't speak about their problems, don't speak about experiences like that. And I think Keith has done a remarkable service to people who found themselves in a situation like that. And equally to the city of Limerick and to the area yeah. of Moy Ross, which a lot of the connotations in the media for many years was just pure negativity. And Keith has written a book that has said, no, this is where I'm from. This is what I'm proud and of. Also, yeah, I and this is what I've gone on to He do. taps into that idea. And I know it may be a bit of a cliche, but the idea that, that Munster rugby is a different type of rugby, maybe from Leinster in yeah, and, particular, and, that you're, you're talking a much broader base in terms of this, the different socio-economic groups that would be represented. 100%. And, and I, I don't think that's something that Leinster would shy away from and mm. it's equally not something that Munster would shy away from. And, and it was evident in Munster across the weekend where they had to throw so many young kids into the deep end in their game against Wasps. That the, and and they, they, like, they, they, these were young fellows who were kind of barely at the point of being professional. Some yes, of them not contracted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, like guys who play in the AIL, you know, play for their communities week in, week out. So, yeah, two two very different books, uh, two books which are slightly right. unlike the ones which have been released by their peers in the past. All right, Eamon, you're going to give me a choice and then I'm going to give you a choice. Are you Ooh. excited? Because oh, I, I want you to tell me about um, Tenement Kid, Bobby Gillespie, first of all. Oh, certainly, yes. Uh, this of, say, the kind of the conventional music memoir, the autobiography in the artist's one, uh, own voice is one of two of that kind uh, that I've really, really uh, enjoyed this year. Now, if we cast our minds back to 1991, and there's been a lot of kind of talk about that year because of the 30th anniversary. Yeah. The 30th anniversary of Oxlung Baby there uh, the other week. Yeah. Nirvana, never mind which came out on the same day as Screamadelica, which was that kind of the third album of Primate Scream, defined the early part of the 90s and a whole kind of a, the marriage of club culture and uh, indie and rock and roll. Bobby Gillespie's story, and of course, you know, lest we forget, he also was, prior to this, the drummer in the Jesus and Mary chain, mm-hmm. who, you know, before Promise Scream found some success, their, their kind of uh, infamous tour uh, around the UK in the mid-80s, pretty much every show culminated in a riot and the sets were about 20 minutes long. So, as you can imagine, um, and he also was a roadie prior to that for the Altered Hours, like Noel Gallagher, it seems like one of these figures that they started life as a roadie and then everything else followed. Um, what's interesting about Bobby's story and what's different about it is how much class politics is in there, how much uh, the violence of growing up in Glasgow in there. They're actually actually echoing with... Uh, with You're thinking with, that it echoes some of what uh, Damien was saying yeah, about the Keith Earl story. It yeah. does. And, and another thing I think, I think kind of um, echoes with kind of uh, Damien's picks is actually the amount of football in the Bobby Gillespie book. He is Celtic mad. Uh, he started off as a pretty good uh, uh, football player. And actually, interesting enough, on his mother's side of the family, he kind of came from, from more yeah. uh, a Protestant uh, and also... And, uh, members of the Orange Lodge on his mother's side of the family but ends up supporting Celtic because his family were rebels so that's kind of a kind of all right. and the, the, book, the book is called Tenement Kid mm. um, Bobby Gillespie he, he writing it. so now I'm going to give you a oh. choice Loaded Moving On Up or Rocks oh yes, look at that because it's Christmas, Christmas. let's go Loaded <laughs> okay <laughs> off we go correct choice <laughs> Just what is it that you want to do? I'm gonna get deep down, deep down, I said. I'm gonna get deep down, deep down. Woo, hey! 
And that little piece of guitar there is dedicated to anybody who is buying an electric guitar for somebody for Christmas. Be ready to hear lots of that. That's uh, loaded from Primal Scream. Uh, my gift to him and Sweeney, who is choosing our music books this evening. And also with me for the rest of the programme, Adele Coffey, Declan Hughes and Damien O'Mara. Back in a couple of minutes' time. So, just gone half past seven on Tuesday night, Serena. Yes, it is Tuesday night. And Damien O'Mara, Eamon Sweeney, Adele Coffey and Declan Hughes are with me this evening with their choice of best books in various uh, places and genres uh, over the past 12 months. It's gone half past seven and, and I've only got you to tell me about one book so far. So, I better shut up and let you get on with telling me about Because, uh, by the way, we will tweet the kind of top five lists from each of our four contributors this evening. So, don't be worrying if you're saying, what was the name of that book that they were talking about two minutes ago? We'll put them all up at the end of the programme but we have to hold off because we want your number one to be very exciting so let me go to you Adele Coffey in in Galway can I actually I'm going to go to to two books here from you Adele Mm. one of which is non-fiction and one of which is a kind of auto-fiction I suppose in Mm. some ways in the case of Claire Louise Bennett remember telling me about Checkout 19 first and then the non-fiction one afterwards Okay, yeah, so Claire Louise Bennett is an Irish writer who most people will have come across um, through her 2015 book Pond, Mm. um, which I think she describes as a novel, but I think people sort of read as as short stories. But it is... um, she is that kind of writer that kind of confounds uh, categorisation. And it's the same with this book, Checkout 19, which came out this year. It's also referred to as a novel, but... There are auto-fictional elements in yeah. it. The the narrator, we don't know the narrator's name. She is a young woman who was born in, in England in the same place that Claire Louise Bennett was born and raised and she then moved to Ireland like Claire Louise Bennett. And there are a lot of um, sort of biographical similarities there. However, it is a novel and it is a book um, that really, really absorbed me in a way that I didn't expect it to. Um, I started reading it. I was completely gripped and I didn't know why I was so gripped because so much of this book is her describing the protagonist's love for books. And it's so unbelievably absorbing how she writes, how she manages to make that a, a gripping process. And I really don't want to do the book a disservice by by sort of putting mm. people off by saying this is a book about books. It's not. It's also about a young woman's sort of um, coming of age, a young working class woman's coming of age. She is um, trying to be a writer. And so much about of, of this book is about class as well, because it's looking at how class hampers writers, how we're going back to Virginia Woolf. You know, if you want to write fiction, if a woman wants to write fiction, she has to have, what was it, £500 a year and a room of her own. And that is the case. And it's it's very influenced, I think, by um, that Danish writer Tove Ditlevsen, who wrote a a trilogy of um, autobiographical books as well about that, just that constant conflict if you're working class or if you don't have enough money to support yourself without, you know, working constantly, um, how difficult it is to be a writer and how much creativity and points of view that we're actually missing out on if we don't right. have those voices. So Check Out 19 is, is the title of the book. Let's move on to the to the non-fiction title that, that you yeah. told 
this book Amiya Srinivasan Srinivasan tell me about uh, her I presume first of all yes so she's um, she's just what we refer to as your basic nightmare she's just essentially brilliant beautiful all the, all the lovely things um, she's 36 and already she is the youngest person ever to hold a very prestigious professorship at All Souls College in Oxford she's also the first woman to do so and the first person of colour to do so she writes essays very um, like deeply interesting essays for the New Yorker for the London Review of Books and that is where her this book The Right to Sex Mm. began its life so she wrote this essay for um, the London Review of Books called The Right to Sex also and it was about this incel Elliot Roger who was this 22 year old college dropout who um, killed six people and wounded 15 others in California and it was basically response incel, to the fact Incel being in, in involuntary celibate. celibate yeah yeah it was in response he had written this huge manifesto and it was like 100,000 words long and um, it, you know it was a response to the fact that um, this certain kind of woman um, you know usually mm. blonde usually white usually sort of norm norm what, what, what they called sorry heteronormative I suppose um and and a, a kind of very specific body shape, very specific body type. She he he wasn't able to have sex with these women, or they didn't want to have sex with him. So she wrote this essay, and uh, out of it came this collection of essays, which is essentially questioning uh, on a huge scale where we are with sex now. And she's questioning, like in a very um, very direct way, uh, a way we're not used to having a conversation around things like consent, around uh, hashtag me too, around hashtag I believe her. She questions all of that stuff in a very, not aggressive way, but a very direct way and in a way that I yeah. certainly haven't read anywhere else. So it's, it's, it's good to read, but she doesn't give any easy answers. It, she gives a lot of brilliant um case studies, which if you're in any way interested in the idea of consent um, or in the idea of sort of power dynamics, you know, she talks about, there's an essay about a professor who has sex with a student. It's not illegal. He's not breaking rules. However, is there is it problematic? And she goes through right. the sort of ethical. Yeah. Um, so hard questions, hard questions, a lot better than easy answers is what you're saying is what we get. Yeah, in this book, but also really. very accessible and, and right. very oh, thought provoking. The Right to Sex is the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amia Srinivasan, the author there. Uh, Declan Hughes, um, we mentioned about the pandemic at the top of the program. I was kind of surprised at the absence of pandemic across many of the choices this evening. But it is there in the one you're going to tell us about uh, now about uh, Brian McGillow's blood ties. It's very much the pandemic is the backdrop here. The pa- it's the lead up to the b- pandemic. And uh, it's always difficult to talk about crime fiction because, of course, you can't really talk about the plot. plot yeah. So this is, <laughs> take it from me, this is very well plotted. There's a recently, the murder of a recently released uh, child molester and killer and the problematic manner in which the, the loose ends around the victim's assault case are, 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 uh, and death were, 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 were tied up. But it's a return to his uh, Inspector Benedict Devlin uh, series after a break of about eight years, um, Blood Ties is the is the title of the novel, and uh, uh, the the power of the book really resides in 
uh, Devlin's relationship with his aging father. The yeah, it's one of the dead. things. Yeah, one of the things that McGilloway does with with Da Benedict uh, Devlin is that he gives us the kind of the good guy PI. You oh, know, yeah. he, he's, he's not he's not your standard. Uh, he's not an alcoholic yeah. or an obsessive. He goes to mass. He has a family. If you lived next door to him, you'd say he was a very nice man. You know, <laughs> and um, they're always the ones though, Declan, aren't they? Uh, well, they may well be. <laughs> Well, well, the power of this book really is uh, uh, the relationship with the father who has a fall. He moves in with them just in the run up to the pandemic and then is living with them and is ailing and failing. Um, and the way in which those scenes are evoked and, and uh, communicated, he writes them really, really well. There's a brilliant um, um, description of um, how the father starts to talk more directly about his feelings for the son and Devlin moves to shut things down and he Mm. says understanding that I'd want to remember every word he'd said but keen for the conversation to be over too and I thought that captures the Irish male (laughs) father-son relationship acutely Um, and so that's Blood Ties by Brian McGilloway and and people might be misled since we talked about Jonathan Eames and Brian McGilloway you actually had given us five alternative you know a kind of a top ten as well and in your top ten there were only two men and that was McGilloway and and Amy. So let us go to another one further down into your top five, uh, and it's all women from here on. Catherine mm. Ryan Howard. Well, Catherine, our own Catherine Ryan Howard, uh, and this is this is straight on in. It's it's what you might call, as opposed to a marriage thriller, a dating thriller. And she takes the tentative getting to know you phase of a relationship and sets it within the strictures of the first COVID lockdown. So Kira and Oliver, who barely know each other, have just kind of hooked up, um, decide that she should move into his apartment. Um, and that's what a setup, you know. Yeah, yeah. She, they've got to live somewhere. Why not give it a go? And we already know there's a dead body, so the timeline backwards, and it just it's a countdown: fifty-six days, fifty-five days, fifty-four days. So um, it, it's it brilliantly melds the sort of getting to know you phase of a relationship right. with the sort of increasing dread of 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 lockdown and the oozy progress of that and uh it just and Declan, it, it's, that it, made it onto the New York Times best of the year um that book and quite right and yeah. quite right yeah no she is the queen of the concept uh, 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 high concept thriller and um, don't I, I, I'm always uneasy when people say oh there's a killer twist because then you're obsessed with what it is there are so many <laughs> twists in this that th- you think you've got it oh no you haven't. you haven't so just relax and be prepared to be continually shocked it's really <laughs> daring right. um, but it's also really emotionally powerful as well 56 days Catherine Ryan Howard um, is it fair of me uh, Damien O'Mara when I talk about this Tris Dixon book that you've chosen I'm, I'm going to refer to this as a boxing book but I think again it's way more than that 100% this of everything I have read of every genre this is one of two books I would say that's had the biggest impact on me over the years I over the year I have virtually no interest in Boxing. It's called Damage. Damage, sorry, Damage by Tris Dixon. He is a, a long-standing boxing journalist, um, has been the editor of, of some very, very well-known boxing websites. Um, mentioned Paul Kimmage earlier, who was accused of spitting in the soup and exposing elements of professional cycling that professional cycling would not want the world to see. This, in effect, is boxing's equivalent. It's an examination of brain trauma, CTE, and what boxing has known over the years about the long-term damage that it inflicts upon its participants. Um, It's part history, part investigation. It is 
really difficult to read mm. in patches, but it is uh, it's a phenomenal piece of work. And it, for me, it is a criminally under reviewed and under acknowledged book over the course of the year. Made it made it onto the William Hill Sports Book of the Year shortlist, but it is a book that I think a lot of boxing people may be uncomfortable with, but has done a great service. I'll ask you to put uh, two into this bundle for me, Eamon. Sure. Um, Don Letts and Jennifer Lucy Allen. Tell talk about the Jennifer Lucy Allen one because I just <laughs> the title of this was enough for me to say I want to I want to see it. I want to hear that book as much as read it. Absolutely. The title is The Foghorn's Lament, The Disappearing Music of the Coast. So yes, it is a music book. Yeah. It's now it's the it's the, it's the wild card music book of my selection. Also, it, this would be one of my a leading contender for my overall book of the year. Wow. In addition to a uh, music book of the year. It is riveting. Now, the music connection is Apart from, let's say, the music, the so-called music of Foghorns or maybe that sleepy bellowing. Anybody who might have grown up along the South Dublin coast would have been familiar uh, with the Dunleary Foghorn that was decommissioned Mm -hmm. in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, Her hook is, like Jennifer Lucy Allen's background is, she is a presenter of a brilliant uh, late night uh, music show on BBC Radio 3 called Late Junction that plays a lot of avant-garde music. Uh, she also contributes to The Quietus and she used to be an online editor for Wire magazine. So she kind of probes, she gets into Falcorns via people like drone metal pioneers such as Sono and people like John Cage and basically goes around the world researching foghorns. And this is where the book gets funny as well, because she would go into somewhere like the Mitchell Light Library in Glasgow and go, um, I'm looking for these particular kind of archives. I'm doing a book on foghorns. Now, you would think that people in libraries all over the world would be used to weird academics and writers, you know, going, oh, I'm doing a book and blah, blah, blah. But the foghorn ones, um, once she kind of blows her cover, people are astounded from San Francisco to all over the world. And she collects all these stories and people kind of... Uh, she actually kind of mentions a, a guy that she kind of uh, befriend, what she calls a foghorn uh, enthusiast from Belfast, who Stop. says... <laughs> and family, mm. round the dinner table, he keeps on going on about lighthouses and foghorns. And people say to him, ah, can you please kind of move on? Like, you know, kind of... You, you talk about that too much. And he goes... But there's nothing else really to talk about. <laughs> so, this is a book really about, I suppose niche might be an understatement. Could be. But it is surprisingly accessible. Um, in terms of maritime history, social history, musicology, in terms of a book that's really original, really joins all the dots. Does the Dunleary Foghorn get a mention or do you just keep hearing it in your mind as you read it? I kept on hearing it in my mind. Ah, that's the trick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Don Letts there and ba- Black again. So yeah. you can yeah. still here at Declan, yeah. Declan, <laughs> you don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As someone who worked in Clontarf. Yeah, no, no Foghorns in Monaghan, funnily enough. Don lets there and black again. This, to me, I think it's in terms of social politics, one of the more pertinent memoirs of the year because the music memoir, now Brett Anderson from Suede, he had a great kind of line for it that it kind of, a lot of the time it's about cocaine and gold discs. Yeah. Or a collection of celebrity anecdotes or my drug hell yeah. and all those kind of cliches. Now, even though there's kind of people like Bob Marley co-star, who incidentally um, was, let's say, Don Letts used to supply uh, Bob Marley something. I won't go any further. Mm-hmm. Don Letts, for those who don't know, maybe a familiar name, very much a talking head. He won a Grammy for directing Westway to the World, which is a film about the clash, which is one of the Mm. best music documentaries ever made. But he was a real Renaissance man. He was the guy playing reggae in clubs in London 
and turned the clash onto reggae and the whole scene uh, right. uh, onto thing. And that book is called There, there and, Black and, Again. and Back Again. Yeah. Okay, now you've all given me three, so we're getting into the moment <laughs> where we're going to get your top two. And that's coming up in a few minutes' time. And so we're into the final roundup of books from 2021. And let's go to you first, Damien O'Mara, for the for the sports area. I, we couldn't talk about sports in this country without mentioning GAA books. Yeah, there's a couple, um, again, worthy of mention. Uh, Grassroots by PJ Cunningham. Um, PJ, long-serving uh, sports editor with various newspapers, um, put out a kind of call to action a couple of years ago to try and effectively write an oral history of the GAA and stories from the community. The first volume of it is out, uh, Grassroots. It's Called. It's it's actually it's one of those ones as well. There's, there's well over 100 stories, probably close to 150 stories. You can dip in and dip out. Um, Liam Hayes, former Mead footballer, has his own publishing company called Hero Books, who've uh, published a number of books uh, over the course of the year. There's, he has a series called Game of My Life, and again, probably special interest in so far as uh, there's one dedicated to one each to Galway, Tipperary, Waterford, Clare have all been covered in hurling over the years uh, Sligo, Mead, Kerry, Dublin all out in football in 2021 um, if you've a, f- a relative or someone in your life from one of those counties you can dip in and out I'm told the Dublin one in particular is meant to be excellent I haven't had a chance to enjoy it yet and uh, there's a couple of staples A Season of Sundays with Sports File is out again this year um, one reference book which people might enjoy um, and again I don't like to be the fellow from RTE who plugs books involving people from RTE, but Eileen Dunn and her sister Moira, um, obviously Mick, their father, synonymous with Gaelic Games coverage in this country over the years. Um, the man, effectively, who was the architect of the All-Stars, they have a book out called All-Star Gazing, 50 Years of the All-Stars to celebrate the anniversary this year. Looks back through the history of it, but it's 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 effectively, it's an encyclopedia of the All-Stars, right. which so many people are massively invested in. OK, so that's yours. And um, I'll come back to you for your, your top pick uh, just before the end of the programme. Eamon, you have two that you're going to give to us now as well. Yeah, well, firstly, one that I suppose a lot of people were aware of this year and sold very well, Sinead O'Connor's Remembering's um, which came out in the early summer. And, you know, a, a lot of the music memoirs that I read, um, it's dominated by blokes, really, kind of like uh, 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 as a genre, you know, kind of like big sellers in recent years would be Elton John's Me, Keith Richards' Life would be, I suppose, a very kind of uh, influential and a big mm. music memoir. And I think, you know, this, I suppose, reflects the imbalance of the whole music industry as a whole, you know. Um, but we think we know Sinead's story, we think we know those big landmarks. It's the like way Saturday she told this story was yeah, so different, exactly, wasn't it? Exactly. It's free of those filters, all those different distortions mm. of the media. And it actually, the powerful thing about, let's say, take, for example, the Saturday Night Live uh, episode. And I, I got reminded of all that, that, that news footage back then of people in America bringing all her, all her CDs, dumping them in the middle of the street and records and tapes <clears> and steamrollers physically going over and all these... This absolute ire, this absolute consternation, and it just brought back all those memories like this. Yeah. And I think it's a story that all of us can connect with. Now, personally, I'll say kind of, as well as the music, the early geography of the book, like Dunleary, Glenageary, yeah. hanging out in the Slorgan bowling alley, waiting for all the boys from Oaklands. Mm, yeah, yeah. All that mm. stuff is so sweet and lovely and told so Fair well. It gives you know? us a, a, a different Ireland for sure. And and your your other choice here, excavate the wonderful and frightening world of the fall. Yeah, this is one now. This would be my, I suppose, coffee table um, pick of the year because the artwork <laughs> is amazing. It's it looks lovely. 
but also the essays are fantastic. Mm. And there's one by the late uh, Mark Fisher's, I think one of the fantastic cultural theorists and kind of uh, pop bloggers um, of recent times that's worth the price of the book alone. Um, people like Michael Bricewell, Grant Showbiz, Owen Hartley, you all contribute. The editors, incidentally, Tessa Norton and Bob Stanley put this together for Faber. And Bob Stanley is also in St. Etienne, who's a founding member mm. of that band. And he also did Yeah, 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 History uh, of Pop on Faber a couple of years ago, which is a definitive uh, text on modern pop. Um, it really, like, when it comes to the fall, when you hear people like Fontaine's DC, Working Man's Club, Gila Band, Yard Actor, Come In Actor, the influence is everywhere. I am really convinced right. that, like, Marky Smith would be regarded as Lou Reed, I think, in, in years to come. And this book is fantastic. All right. Really. And then that, that's, that's where you are on that. Now, you've both actually mentioned your top book within that, but let us hold off on revealing what exactly that top book is from both of you. We'll go to, to Declan Hughes at this point and crime fiction. You've got number two and number one to give to us, Declan. So let us start the penultimate book on your list, Jane Harper. Yeah, this is Jane Harper, who's his fourth novel, The Survivors. I mean, she is already with four books, Australian novelist, and just like at the top of her game, she's one of the most important uh, writers in in the genre. Um, the things she excels at, a preoccupation with kind of teenage years, awkward adolescence and mistakes and, and, and errors you made back then that come back to haunt you. She paints uh, a, a really slow burn unfolding family drama that will just um, 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 uh, erupt uh, 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 but perfectly paced and then a gift for setting. I mean she set books in the outback and the desert and this one is in an out of season Tasmanian seaside town. Um, <laughs> and what a setting it, it, that it, is. Yeah, and the ocean and the caves, and there's a tragedy in the protagonist's past where he, he, he's blamed for the death of his brother. And the whole thing is just, it's, it's really well-constructed, very, very powerful, and the setting just, just, just delivers. Uh, Adele, you have given us, um, I actually got a sixth book from you as well, but uh, let's get your number three and your number two and hold off on number one uh, for, okay, for so just the timing. Very briefly, number three is Bright Burning Things by Lisa Harding. She's a former actor and playwright, but yeah. she wrote this amazing book um, last year and it's about a young actor who's been derailed by her alcoholism and she's got a little boy who's four years old. This book does not let go. I read it through my fingers. Mm. There's so many raw moments. Yeah. And, but she's a brilliant storyteller and she actually, she does reward the storyteller in the end. It's, it's an amazing book. And actually, it's just been picked up in America as the December book club choice for the Today Show. So she's probably going to be massively successful. And I think it's heading, for, well. it's heading for a television series and her oh, previous book has also been, is going to screen. Um, so that's Bright Burning Things. And Fabulous your, your second choice mm. uh, comes from Elizabeth Day, Elizabeth which is a, Day. a fiction book, but relates to her own life. Yeah, Elizabeth Day, people will know her as the podcaster How to Fail, uh, also a journalist, and she's written about her own um, struggles with IVF and with miscarriage. This book called Magpie is a psychological thriller set in the sort of domestic noir era, or, or, or area, I should say, and um, tells the story of a couple called Marissa and Jake. Marissa's expecting a baby, and they get a lodger to earn some extra money. Um, halfway through the book, the point of view switches and honestly, 
there's a right. we can't say more than that because there is a twist <laughs> and everyone knows there's a twist but it's uh, it's phenomenal it's really mm. page turnery if you're looking to get back into reading if you've had one of those problematic years where you're Magpie dying to get, is the way yeah, to go okay letters quickly around the table uh, Damien O'Mara what of which of your books is your top sports pick for 2021 um, probably Damage by Tris Dixon would be the one I'd recommend can I very quickly give two soccer books a mention because I've kind of compartmentalised mine I've got you've got 10 seconds uh, Emerald X Exiles by Barry Landy a book so simple in concept I don't know how no one has done it before it's the story of Irish footballers who went abroad not the ones you would expect and Barca the rise and fall of the club that built modern football by Simon Cooper brilliant uh, Eamon did uh, yes top music book uh, I'd say Sinead O'Connor must be there but I think there might be Foghorns going oh, to I've win here I've actually gone Foghorn mad it's obviously <laughs> done something to my brain and I think very briefly I will mention it's published by White Rabbit who've done a lot of excellent books this year and next spring they are publishing this woman's work Essays on Music edited by none other than Sinead Gleeson and Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. Right, that's one to look forward to Declan Hughes top crime book from you for the year 2021 my favourite crime writer is Laura Lipman and her book Dream Girl, which is a fantastically wicked take on misery. A great American novelist laid up in his Baltimore penthouse apartment, uh, contemplating and being revisited by all of the things that he failed to do and the things that he did badly, mostly in regard to women. Okay, so that is your top crime book for 2021. And we come to you, alas, but by no means least, Adele Coffey. What have you chosen? I'm quite excited. I know what this book is and I'm very excited about it. It was one of my favourite reads this year. Oh, good, because this book for me... Is the best book of the year by Country Mile. Fiction, non-fiction, whatever you want. Uh, Claire Keegan's Small Things Like These. It is just a work of such immense beauty. It tells us so much about us as an Irish people. It tells us so much about us as human beings. So the story is about Bill Furlong. He is a coal merchant. It's set in the 80s. He lives in New Ross and he's got um, a very sort of practical wife and he has five young young daughters. Um, and the story is kind of about him... Uh, it's around Christmas time. He discovers a young woman locked in a shed when he's delivering coal to the convent. And she's kind of unkempt and she's been there a while, obviously, and she's got long toenails. And the story is about his empathy for her and the problems that that um, yeah. could could bring up for him. People have been saying it's about the Magdalene laundries. It's absolutely not about that. It encompasses that and Claire Keegan is such a clever writer. She doesn't and, tell us what we already know about and, that whole And she era. packs such a, a, a large amount into what is a short book. Do you know, it's but, so beautiful. Yeah. Sean, I've read it three times yeah. and I keep going back to read it again and I will read it again. And it makes me so proud of us as a country yeah. that her previous book, Foster, is on the syllabus. Like, she right. is up there. She's with Joyce. She's with Maeve Brennan. She's, oh. she's up there. She's amazing. All right. Uh, so that is the one that we all be thinking about. I and think. it's 120 small pages 120 long. pages. Small things like these from Claire Keegan, the choice of Adele Coffee. My thanks to Adele and indeed to Eamon Sweeney, Damien O'Mara and Declan Hughes for their choices for us on this Tuesday evening. We are going to tweet all of the titles so you'll get all of them up there in their various, uh, from their various contributors that we've had this evening. Leah Murphy and Paula Shields Research. Janice Furphy was the broadcast coordinator. Damien Chanel was on sound this evening and tonight's programme was produced by Sinead Egan. Talk to you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1.